Welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, and it's lawrencehits.com. And today I'm not sitting in my dining room. I am sitting in the home of friends Jessica Elise and Macy Webb, and we're going to create a radio show about poetry and life and who knows what. You know, that's just how it is around here. Um, we always get a great chance with Talk With Me to, to hear artists work when we have working artists with us, which we do and to have real conversation about stuff that, that I always hope is inspiring, is connecting, helps people understand some things maybe about themselves and that they're not alone, all that good stuff. So we're just gonna launch into conversation. Hey, oh. Jessica, thank you for welcoming me into your home. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> thank you for coming over and, and making that possible. So finally have a, a space that is that works well for some things like that and yeah, it's nice to be it's able amazing. to utilize it and kind of stretch it out and see what you know what we can do so yeah. i appreciate you being mobile for me this morning absolutely so. <laughs> to do it but i was thinking about how just for our listeners so you and i met because of spoken word poetry mm -hmm. in lawrence kansas yes uh, when i got this great idea like let's do a poetry slam oh i've never been to one but right? i'm sure i can find people who can help figure this out <laughs> And so, particularly with some help from Rhonda Miller, mm -hmm. poet and wonderful person, and Lori Tapahanso, yep. who is a wonderful person who is not actually in Lawrence, Kansas anymore, but her spirit's here with us in Lawrence and Haskell Indian Nations University. We kind of put together stuff, and I talked to people, and these connections and that connections. Shout out to Sarah Glass, Misconception. Yep who gave a lot of ideas. C. Loof, who's a poet from mm -hmm. Nebraska, who said, you know, here are some things you probably want to know. And C. came down with a couple of his friends for that right. first. That was a good Lawrence. show. And it was a nice, because like from the outset, I remember us talking about the importance of blending and bridge building within yeah. like the poetry community in Lawrence and trying to find that way to make that art from the academic to the, the performance yeah. and still be like somewhere and, you know, that's inclusive in between. And I think yeah. especially that first slam, I think did that really, really well. Yeah. And that yeah. was cool because it was, it was intentional and serendipity right. I mean, that people accepted invitations. Denise Lowe, who's poet laureate, a former poet laureate of Kansas, you know, we had people that were retired professors from the university. We had current grad students at their university. We had people who'd been doing a lot of spoken word and people doing other kinds of poetry. And it was it was a comment from a lot of people that were there. Like, I've never been in the room with all of these people. And it was really inspiring. And, and, I, and I loved in particular, I don't know why, but in particular, I loved some of the um, academic, you know, retired professors from KU. Right who were writing poetry and maybe served as a judge or maybe read a piece, who were delighted mm -hmm. with the opportunity to be in that kind of an audience. Right, so to, to be able to see that, like, that spark of creativity and that passion for poetry. Yeah. And that, but maybe in, in an environment that's a little more controlled than, because slams can get out there. I mean, like, that's, a, you know, like, no holds barred kind of, it, it, it can be an intimidating thing. Yeah. And to find and be able to, like, put in some different space where it's, like, it's still, maintain some accessibility for the academic crowd yeah, that, that yeah. like blossoms that out because yeah. that's how we all take our own unique parts of the craft and are able to like hopefully connect with each other and build those things into new and yeah different keep things. growing keep <laughs> from each other which is way cool and that's one of the things that 
you know, it's like the, the joy of social media and those connections is, you know, what I see and, and a lot of times what I also am kind of doing a little little is, you know, I talk to this person who's in San Francisco, I'll just say Serena Zabriskie, who's this amazing writer, um, activist, performance artist connected with this things called the arts resistance. Um, and so I get to tell somebody who's with the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture in New York, like, here's this stuff going on based in San Francisco that's not connected to USDAC. You know, let's, you know, kind of help build those connections because now in particular, since November 9th, it's like there is a lot to be done through art. Right. There's yeah. a ton to be done through art and we're not going to get, and we're, it's not get, we're, it's not going to be easy for us to do it. Yeah. Never is easy to do it. Yeah. But it's not going to, we're not going to get any breaks. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I always, and I haven't done it yet, but I always ask my guests to kind of give a little bit of background intro. Okay. So let's let's jump back to that. Okay. So what, what are some things that people who haven't experienced you performing in the Midwest who, who might want to just What do you know about Jessica Lee? Yeah, <laughs> we need that big old voice of Pepper Anakin. No, we don't. We can do it on our own. Oh, yeah. I got, my voice is loud enough, too. It's not, it doesn't have the same timbre. Yeah. What do you know about Jessica Lee? <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just a human being, you know, um, I've lived in Lawrence for about eight years off and on. Uh Um, I've always written. I, it's not that I always considered myself a poet, but I never really journaled. Everything always looks like poetry on the page. Mm -hmm. And as I kind of grew up, I I started playing with that more, you know, I Mm -hmm. mean, it took me a long time to get through school. I have a background in philosophy and all the things that I paid for that are not going to help me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, worked for a number of years as an administration for uh, an organization that provides residential and uh, personal and services for adults with developmental disabilities. Uh-huh. And so, you know, giving back to the community in that way, which was not a field that I went into. It was just the culmination of experience and uh-huh. kind of how things happen. And that kept me in Lawrence for a while. Um, Poetry is something that has always been part of my life, but it's something that I struggle with. Sometimes I write a lot more and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I consider myself a performance poet and sometimes I can go a year without, you know, without really putting a whole lot of stuff out there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, but words are my creative outlet. I've been branching out into some visual media and things like that just as it happens, you Uh know, to keep busy, but words are are my thing and I like playing with them. Uh I like understanding them. I like taking them apart and putting them together in different ways that maybe illuminate other aspects of their meaning, Uh because I think it's so central to the way that we communicate with one another, which Uh is the basic building block of all of our relationships, right? Is, is that communication. It's what, it's what sets us apart from other animals that we know of, you know, Um, and being able to use that in creative and beautiful ways. So that's what I'm really motivated by. Um, I was part of a, a collective here in Lawrence for uh, for a while. We got to do some really great things as all things kind of come and go. You know, everybody come because fun is like focusing on some of their own things and kind of moving out. Lawrence for the last year for me has been a real kind of like, where am I supposed to go? And what am I supposed to do? And I know mm-hmm. that there are things that I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now maybe I've got a little emphasis for some of those things, mm-hmm. but um, it's still the same thing. It's just getting people who, Feel the same way I do about words to mm-hmm. in a space together so that we can share ours together because then we make really cool stuff together too. Yeah. So and one of the spaces that you had been doing was Lady Fire. Mm-hmm. Lady Fire, and I still do that. That's okay. we usually. Um, I need to put that on the calendar. Uh-huh. 
Um, we usually do that the third Monday of the month. We're still trying to kind of um, get everything settled down. We did this at the Percolator Lawrence, uh-huh. which is the alleyway behind 940, what, 914 um, Rhode Island it's or behind something. that big old Compton Hotel. It is behind the Marriott. <laughs> I never remember Go the through name of their patio. <laughs> It says no soliciting. Don't listen. Just go through their patio and we're in the back. Um, you between know, Ninth and Tenth, between Rhode Island and New Hampshire. Yes. That's what we talked about. Not yeah. anyway. Right yeah. there by the Social Surface League. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I've still worked heavily with them. And uh-huh. um, I forgot where I was going with that. Well, Lady Fire. Because oh, Lady Fire a- meets there on the third Wednesday or the third Monday of every month. And what it is is an opportunity for women creatives in the Lawrence area to come and share space together. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to be a writer. You don't have to have written. You don't have to. It's really about like just being able to give us the space as women to support each other in our creative endeavors and touch in and share those things with each other in a space that that we can hold for ourselves. So if that's something that interests you and you identify with those things, it's just being able to, you know, um, and this is, it's nothing. It is not, Oh, man hater club or right. anything like that you know but men in a men in a creative space can get very loud and can get very um make spaces dif- difficult for some they can take up a lot of space they can take a up lot a lot of, ways. of space and so having a separate <laughs> space that says we're going to do this here and that way we can come yeah. and do all this with yeah. y'all over yeah. here yeah you know that's just nice so if that's yeah. something that you're it's interested important. in it's usually seven o'clock third monday of the month uh, it's in february would actually be the 20th i happen to know because the second is the the second monday is the 13th so it's coming up yes. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i had to get out of your calendars all <laughs> year, you know, for my personal life and uh-huh. um and actually use them but it's kind of nice because then if there's something that i actually like it lets me know what my priorities are this is important to me i put it on the calendar yeah. so maybe i'll there do you go. that you know? there you go and i just need <laughs> to do a little tangent side plug so speaking of safe spaces for people, mm-hmm. we have this lovely thing that will happen for the third time in Lawrence, Kansas, called Girls Rock Lawrence. Yes. It's this wonderful camp. And and the dilemma with, with labeling things by gender is this particular space, and it's similar to Lady Fire, this particular space is actually basically for everybody other than a cisgender male. Right. Because <laughs> Girls Rock Lawrence is really about female youth and trans youth and gender nonconforming youth, you know, it's a welcoming safe space, but, but no, assigned as birth males who identify as males are part of the physical presence of right. the camp with uh, the, the one exception that lunch um, help has included. A wonderful <laughs> well, man the who, cook. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, but they cook outside <laughs> right. of the space where the camp is, That's but nice. there was, there is one guy who's I mean, been a delight to, to help get the food not only brought over but but served efficiently so the the youth get their chance to have plenty of food time instead of it being kind of a mess i think it's important you know you know especially for anyone but especially growing up you get enough pressure from everyone around you especially in creative fields and like making any type of creative work and being able to be comfortable in those spaces it you know do whatever you need to do to do that and Mm -hmm. if that means you need a you know an all-female space to do that in then do that, yeah. you know, and yeah. I'm glad that there are opportunities. I've seen a lot of really good stuff come out of Girls Rock Lawrence, yeah. you know. Uh, Percolator was their fiscal sponsor when they first started up, and I think they've oh, nice. gotten bigger than yeah. that. Yeah, 501c3 so, now, it's a great um, thing. You know, Percolator's the same thing, that whole safe yeah. space thing, yeah. absolute solidarity with yeah. Black Lives Matter, Indigenous Rights Movements, yeah. all of that, you know, this yeah. is the, what, that's what art exists for, and we would yeah. be 
remiss in our duty to the community if if our space was not um, just known to to be that to be inclusive, welcoming it's, for okay, everybody, for everyone. Yeah. yeah, it was a no brainer. It wasn't like we had to have a discussion about you know are, is this something we need to make a solidarity statement with. Mm-hmm this and that it was i mean this is what we do we're yeah. an art space we're a gallery space yeah. we're here to promote art and creativity in the community this is a no-brainer yeah there was no question about do we how do you remain not it's like it's, this is not a political thing this is what we do yeah yeah so let's just say it again yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. and you've been on the board of percolator lawrence so I mean, yeah. you're we with percolator lawrence in a lot of different ways huh? yeah. yeah yeah it's, it's cool. a cool it's interesting we're just a bunch of nerds that <laughs> want to put art out in the community and somehow find a way to stumble through month to month to do it. So it's pretty cool. It is very cool. We've got a group show coming up um, at the end of this month. Um, Cause we've got, we, most of the time we've been doing really good and we've been backed up and scheduled for months and months and months. And somehow we got forgot about February and I don't know what happened. If we but decided, it was the love show. Well, the love show is up right now. Uh-huh. Through February, but okay. we need February's final Friday, and yeah. I guess we just didn't schedule anything. I mean, maybe we had an idea that we we're going to do something, and just never got in the book. So um, we've, we've got a group show working. So I've got, uh-huh. I might have to actually make visual art all right. in the next two weeks and get it on walls. So Very that'll be cool. final Friday this yeah. month and then up through nice next month. So. Nice, nice, nice. So that's that's really good stuff. Where are you with putting your words on a page? Um, they're coming out strangled and small. Um, there's a lot in my head and they come out when they need to. I've been surrounded by a lot of people and not, you know, a lot of, and a lot of that stuff come when it actually comes down on paper uh-huh. comes out in, in more solitary spaces. And I haven't had a lot of those, which is perfectly fine. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'll be honest about it. Uh-huh. Um, but they, it comes out in little bits. I'm definitely, there's more on paper now and more consistently than there has been in a very, very long time. It's just still very small amounts. So. And how about moving from your paper to paper that people can buy? And have? That is the next step. Yeah. That is the next step. And that's just a lot of that, you know, I have a hard time cataloging and editing and putting so, like all of the stuff that goes along. I mean, like it's because I handwrite. Uh-huh. Or I type, and so then it's then you have to get into this media, then you have uh-huh. to write it again, and then every time you do that, then it's like this is crap. Why am I writing this down? Cut that whole piece apart, you know, like stuff like that. So I mean, there's like various phases of getting it into. It's got to get into digital copy first, and yeah, then, um, and then try to figure out. Although there have been some chapbooks done from handwritten pages, yeah. I've got a couple. Books. Well, and I'm also I I signed up at the Lawrence Art Center because I'm trying to take advantage of all the resources that I can in Lawrence. Uh-huh. For a printmaking class, I had signed up for a book finding class, that, uh-huh. which that makes more sense, uh-huh. you know, but they didn't have enough people sign up. So I'm taking basic printmaking. So I'm learning to make all of the things that you would put into books uh-huh. and yeah. publications and things like that. So that helps those skills and, yeah. and stuff too. So. The woman that I talked to for the show that's airing the night that we're recording, whatever, Bree, who is who lives in for real. Pleasureville, Kentucky, little teeny rural farming community. Um, she's from Cleveland. But anyway, she's been publishing books. I think, I'm trying to think how long. I'm going to say at least maybe it was 2001. I can't remember. But doing everything by hand. And she does the the design. And, and you know, it's like all of that. And just and assembles these books. And uh, yeah, I'm highly interested in self-publishing yeah. and things like that. Not just from a monetary aspect, but just from like the whole creative aspect. Yeah. You know, you know the book binding and all of that and all the stuff that I've done, like all the way up to journals and stuff like that. I got, um, we'll keep it on the download, but I did get the, not, whatever. 
I did get the honor of getting to peruse a bit of an advanced copy of Waskar's new ah, book that he has put out. Through Pop Poetry Series, um, yeah. And so I do have some plans to maybe um, maybe make move bind up a copy yeah. or something. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little shout out to Waskar Medina. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure when his book's coming out, but it's called How to How to Hang the Moon. I've seen the the cover. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's I mean he's a beautiful individual anyway i'm used to hearing more of his performance in the longer form poetry uh-huh. so it's really nice to see some of the shorter form and the things that you take more care and detail with because he's yeah. just he's a good guy he's a wonderful human being in fact he's he probably the book is coming the release is probably this month because we're scheduled to do a show we're good maybe even next monday you'll get some good poetry out of it oh it's just wonderful stuff. yeah yeah nice Oh, yeah. So all these connections. Yeah. I remember meeting Huascar at the freezing, blustery top of the Oriad Inn. Oh, yeah. When we were doing oh, the second when, word save last. When Megan's poetry went over the... Oh. oh I was, I'd come back from somewhere, maybe Alabama. Like, I might have just gotten back in town after being gone for months or something. And I walked out onto that deck at the same time that the wind kicked up and uh-huh. pulled... Megan's Megan McHenry's poetry, poetry all oh. over the oh we got almost all of it some of it went over the side but it was just like yeah oh. was, okay let's go inside <laughs> yeah 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 word save lives is a is a cherished event for me you got y'all were out of town for a wedding mm-hmm. I think yeah the weekend this year but it field. was it makes it hard oh <laughs> and it was it was an amazing set of people together we were at makerspace and and talking about, you know, kind of holding space for people. It was very intentional on my part. Like, I really want to make, you know, to try to get people with very different backgrounds together in the same event, you know. And so we we had, you know, like, starting with the youth poet, uh, Shay uh, Catterton, mm-hmm. who is the one who'd been taking over Spark in the Flame, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and Shay read some really powerful poetry and had um a woman kathy hawk i don't know if you've met her um she's a she's in the military service um in junction city and she's writing and and john musgrave who is a vietnam combat vet who does a a lot of writing and a lot of different projects to help um other veterans and you know and and then prim one who who after you know after uh, uh word save lives it was the weekend after that. Kathy Hawk and Primwan got married, and he'd been he'd done this great, you know, the uh, Midwest Word Fest in Kansas City, and all the but all these really different people who'd never been in the same room again, and and different, just you know, lots of love for everybody, and it was really cool. And it's like we need those kinds of spaces, and we need those spaces more than ever, you know, now. Mm-hmm. And and even though it can feel weird being intentional about it, like you're saying, sometimes you need to proclaim a space that this is not a man's space. It's just not, you know, right. and there we'll are spaces where this yeah. is not a white person's space. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, yeah, do just respect where that. you need. I loved it on, on uh, as it's called Black Friday, which I never really understood. Um, Black Friday is just where I eat more stuffing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Natasha, <laughs> Natasha, um, 
I always get her name wrong, but I'm going to say it right. Not Natasha Ria Elskari, who's an African-American feminist woman, poet in Kansas City, posted this thing on that day, which I love, which is like, it's Black Friday. That means buy stuff from Black businesses. <laughs> like, yes. Right. <laughs> and so she was saying, you know, here are my books. Here are this. You know, uh-huh. that's where you should spend your money on this day. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what, what do you want to share about what's going on with you? Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, my life has done a complete turnaround in about the last month and a half. Last six weeks have been. Uh, do, do we want to just launch into it? I can get it's to the up long to you. And short. It's, it's what I mean, my life's an open book. It's not about the, the the information. It's just about you know time constraints. Once you get started talking about stuff, yeah. Um, actually, before I get into that, uh-huh. I would like to read a, a piece real quick. Sure. Um, because this is like I, I I did stop writing for a long time. You know uh-huh. that what we're getting ready to talk to is comes at the end of two years of lots of lots of things happening, uh-huh. lost relationships, family members passing away. I lost my father. Um, you know, I rolled a car and broke my leg and was immobile for you know months and. You know, so there's a lot of other things that happened first that stopped a lot of my writing and, did, you know, that I was just because everything was too much. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be more poignant now, I think. Um, but this is one of the first things that I actually, like, wrote as a piece uh-huh. through some of all of that uh, because I didn't want to talk about any of it. I just let, wanted to let out the little bitty bits, you know. And this still just does the same thing, but it now has, is taking on more meaning with some of these things. Um, this is called... Um, Notes on Postmortem Disposal of My Body. (laughs) Grow a tree from my bones. Take my skin. Burn it all until only the fireworks remain. Give my liver to an octopus. Shred my spleen. Take my lungs to make something worthy of love, of art. Save my heart. Save my heart for safekeeping. Dig deeply and reap what you sow. Don't show me where you buried my eyes. Don't lie in the wide open fields where you left my thighs spread. Remember, shred the spleen. Leave the gleaming seemingly untouched. Don't take too much to bear. Bury me here. Don't leave flowers. Leave the leaves of grass undevoured. Shower me with love and forget-me-nots. Don't let me rot in an untended grave. Save my name in your mouth. In your heart, save the art. Save this artist, seal only the hardest parts of me in the ground, plant a tree. As for the rest of me, let it be laid to rest in pieces. Peace be with you as you do this in remembrance of me. Mm. So I wrote that a few months back, just in the, like, what do you do with that? You know, uh, I went through a lot of, I didn't really know what my dad wanted with this, you know, body or any of those things. And some things came up in the, process of walking through that with family members that were very close to him that I had never met Uh Uh (laughs) that kind of made some of those things poignant you know um and so that was just kind of a meditation on that it's kind of come to a different head but um, I wanted to let it out before it was too morbid well and the thing (laughs) is to me and this is maybe it's because of my age maybe you know for whatever reasons but it's like we all need to be talking about death because we're all gonna die you know, and it's one of the things, I mean, it's just one of those things that I don't know. I know there are other cultures and I'm saying that there is an American culture. Right. But I would also say in this 
this part of the Western world, mostly people don't want to talk about it. You it's know? our biggest fear. And, and somebody, it, it drives all the other yeah. stuff too, because if we can, it's what we're most scared of. And so we spend all the rest of that frustration and anxiety trying to make ourselves secure uh-huh. in another way, monetarily. Do I have a house? Do I have this? Do I have like whatever? So I, because I can control it. And, I, and that the death is the uncontrollable. Yeah. That's the, and the thing is, is like it, I, it came to me in a, in this, you know, this really specific thinking about recently because I had two, um, I had a cousin who died and her circumstances related to physical and mental health. I had um, somebody I'd known, just this huge part of my life, uh, basically, um, who crossed paths off and on and wasn't like the closest person. But I knew that his spirituality, his, his belief about the world was dying was not a sad thing. You know, So it was hard to say to somebody, you know, I need to let you know this person has died. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I have this multi-decade connection with him and people say, oh, that's so sad. It's like, well, no, that's not the way, that's not the way that he see, he would see it either. I mean, that's, you know, and and it's like, okay, we need to, we need to to deal with that. And I was prompted by something that happened um, with um, somebody who's not, not a close, close friend, but somebody, again, I've got some connection with who, who had a young 20 something friend who died. And, you know, it's like, we need to cherish each other in life. Right. We need to, to value what we have, the time when we have together, because every single person that we've let into our life, who, who we admire and who hopefully admires us in ways too, either we're going to outlive them or they're going to outlive us. It's going to happen. You know, right? Yeah, <laughs> and so let's not just be afraid of that. Let's live <laughs> exactly, and let's 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 make the most of all of those interactions yeah. as we're able to. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's stuff that's been weighing and super yeah. important. Yeah. So you know, and you kind of qualified that what you had written was more, but it's like no, you what you you wrote about you know real life stuff we need to do right but before i start talking about what's going on in my life let's get that one out there so then it's not like oh my gosh what are you gonna hack my arms off just stick them outside and you know put me in a firecracker oh man when you said that i i had mentioned to you before you came on air about about wolfgang karstens who i adore he has a little poem and i should have brought it and i should i should have like i should have it exactly but basically the poem is about how when so-and-so was diagnosed with cancer and had to have his his arm removed, the only thing that really bothered him was the cost of that tattoo. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, can, mm-hmm, I can relate to that. Hopefully none of it, hopefully it's not going to come to any of that. But like, I paid some good money for my skin. Yeah. I just have to make something out of it. It'd be coming out of the like, wall of my house. But like, my hand holding things you know i think there's a precedent for preserving tattoos yeah probably so yeah yeah keep those beautiful works of art as part of part of remembering that person right exactly i gotta put that in there take my skin (laughs) before you burn me before you cut off any of the parts you think are pretty There's some good artists. I don't let terrible artists touch my skin too often. I have this other writer friend in uh, Phoenix, Thomas Brown. He's this wonderful person I met when 
he and his dear friend Zachary Chips were doing a cross country bike ride and and to raise awareness about um, healing through arts related to suicide prevention and suicide bereavement and mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful person. And, and Tom's like, you know, there, this is what I want to have happen when I die. And then I read there really is now such a thing. This artist, I think she, this person was a performance artist, created this suit, this this uh, covering for a body, and then you would implant mushroom spores. And that way, as your body, you know, is so we're not talking about doing any kind of cremation or any kind of embalming. Mm-hmm but burying the body in this to replenish the, the nutrients in the earth. Well, Thomas's thing was, I want them to be psilocybin. <laughs> right? <laughs> Get it. <laughs> I don't know if I could take that trip. But I, <laughs> my brain doesn't quite work. Sometimes it would be like, whoa, wait a minute. Is this, are you communing? That's the level. That's a, that's a psychological level I'm not it's, prepared for. But if I, if I knew that person yeah. and like, you know, I mean, it could be, I mean, that's medicine too. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So, and rituals. Everybody get together and have a party or pretend I'm there. <laughs> and this would be a perfect time. I'm just looking mm-hmm. at the clock. Perfect time to take a short break. Let people think about what we've just been talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, like, good for you. Think about it because, again, it's going to happen to all of us. We're all going to die. Yeah. So, enjoy We're all going to die alone. Nothing can do about it. <laughs> And we're going to hear from a couple of the businesses that sponsor Lawrence Hits. And I say thank you to Daniel Smith, hoping that the tech stars are all in a line so this gets listened to by lots of people. I'm excited about that conversation, kind of provoking a bit and informing a bit. And then we'll be back with more conversation, more talk with me and Jessica Elise. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marsha Epstein and Jessica Elise. And we've just blown your mind and we're going to just continue in that vein, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, mind-blowing. I have some some (laughs) mind-blowing. Because it's real life. I mean, the thing is, is that things don't get better when we don't talk about it, you know? And I'm not saying talking heals everything. I I get that. But we have to to get through it. Yeah. Especially when when things happen that are so far beyond of your control uh-huh. and that come out of absolutely nowhere and absolutely reorient your yeah. life in a moment's notice. Yeah. So just a little bit about what I've been going through over the last six to eight weeks. Yeah. Because part, like you're saying, stuff is, there's stuff that's outside of our control. And, and honestly, sometimes, you know, it's just like, we need that reminder that sometimes bad stuff just happens. It's not because we did something wrong. It's just happening. And so, we do our best to deal with it. I mean, my brain still wants to figure it all out. It's mm-hmm. not like that I did something wrong, but like figure out like where it all came from or uh-huh. anything. But uh-huh. basically what happened um, was that I went to bed a couple of days before Christmas and went to sleep and had a seizure. And had I been here by myself, I would not have even known. It did not wake me up. I had no idea. But apparently I roared the most metal roar scream of my life in the seizure. And it alerted... Um, Macy, so that something like there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. She thought I might be having a night terror or something. Mm-hmm. So she came back and found me in, in the seizure mm-hmm. and called 911. So I woke up to first responders in my house with no idea what's going on. They're mm-hmm. trying to wrestle me into clothes mm-hmm. and get me where they need me to go. And I'm just like, who are you? And mm-hmm. you got big, you're big, you're all very big. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and finally got enough oriented to figure out I had a seizure, I to go hospital. When they got me out of my bedroom and into the living room where the gurney was, I was like, okay, well, you brought props. So you're obviously like, you know, supposed to be here, you know, and I can trust that something 
weird is happening and I need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we went to LMH, Lawrence Memorial Hospital, which I've always had positive experiences with in my professional career and my personal career. I've been able to have to talk to people, you know, um, and they did a CT scan and I fully expected that the results were going to be, we don't see anything, go home, follow up with neurology, which I can't do because I don't have insurance. You know, I'm like, now you have seizures and now you can't work because you're an Uber driver and you can't drive because you have seizures Mm -hmm. and we don't know what's happening. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought I was going to go home and just be like, shit, you know, and that's not what happened. Um, They came in and told me that they had found multiple masses in my brain. Um, At least one would need to be removed for biopsy because it wasn't the only place that they were. They didn't think it was the only place. They had just done my head at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were going to transfer me to KU Med. And the second that they said we're transferring you to KU Med, I said, yeah, yeah, you are. You know, mm-hmm. um, you're saying you're out of your depth and somebody's cut my head open. You're mm-hmm. going to KU Med. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, everything that I've done medically has, is now running through KU Med, which, I mean, it's an hour away, but I, it makes me feel supremely confident mm-hmm. in the care that I'm getting. Um, so Christmas Eve, they um, cut my head open. And pulled out a mass from my brain for biopsy. That's what I got for Christmas. Mm -hmm. I did see Santa Claus. I believe it was in the recovery room. I believe he was there. I know the conversation happened. (laughs) I do not know the content. I think I gave him crap about being on the naughty list. (laughs) Um, But I do know that. That was Christmas Eve. I was in the hospital for a couple of days. And they let me out. And then it's, well, but before they let me out, oncology came in. And what oncology said, a very nice gentleman, it's, he's the head of my team currently. Um, but what he said, what in, in the best ways that you can say it are, you know, um, you've, got, you've, you've got cancer, you've got something. Um, we've done other, other tests, body testing, all this stuff, all was in there. You know, they said it, what, it's present in your small intestine, your lungs, your lymph nodes, and your brain or they didn't I don't know they really need the whole spread they told me it's present in multiple places because it's in multiple places you know it's probably stage four cancer and uh, you know but we have to wait on biopsies and we have to wait on this and we have to wait on that so let's get all those appointments set up and sorry mm-hmm. here we go and um sat with that for a while came mm-hmm. home from the hospital tried to get better started doing follow-up um when all those tests came back um uh, what it is is stage four metastatic melanoma melanoma skin cancer i don't know what i don't know where it came from it came from my skin going inside literally turned my skin inside out somehow is my metaphorical Mm -hmm. brain part of that um but there's no it's not like there was a mole i wasn't looking at or something or there was a lump somewhere or anything that that's the thing they can think of somewhere in my upper thigh or hip there's like just a place where it went into the muscle Mm -hmm. but now it's spread that there's no where it came from is not the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it has spread to my small intestine, lungs, lymph nodes, and my brain. Um, but it's melanoma everywhere. So I don't have lung cancer. I have skin cancer in my lungs. I don't have brain cancer. I have skin cancer in my brain. And it just mm-hmm. is using the lymph system to go where it needs to. So there's, there's options for tr- it is incurable. That was the thing that they told me, mm-hmm. which is something that I've had to sit with. And the best I can do with that is what they say, what that means is that I cannot beat it. It does not say anything about whether it can beat me. Mm-hmm. 
because mm-hmm. it doesn't know anything about me. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just people have been fighting unwinnable wars mm-hmm. for millennia. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. they're going to. I mean, you can go and tell people in Standing Rock that they're fight, that they're fighting an unwinnable war right now. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because all you're telling them is we can't beat them. You're not telling them anything about what they can do. To, you know mm-hmm. what they can do. So you know there was that. Um, so then it's just what is treatment? Treatment mm-hmm. right now looks like you know having to heal before I can do any type of like systemic treatment. Um, and we have to look at things because the prognosis for stage four metastatic melanoma as advanced as I have it is usually two to four years, um, for the systemic stuff, brain can the, when it gets in the brain, it's anybody's guess. I mean, any of those things could grow. And the, the tumors that I had in my brain were proliferating and growing. Um, so my, my approach to treatment was let's go for the brain cancer first. Um, because then we can, and we can still get all the information and keep moving forward with all the stuff with everything else. But this is the thing that could kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get it and as most aggr- mm-hmm. aggressively as we possibly can, because it is it was proliferating within a month's time between two MRIs. I went from having six masses in my brain to having ten, um, three of which had grown in size, one of which was necrotic in the center. Um, that's in addition to the one that they took out. Um, so that's the part we have to really, really get a hold of. So um, in the last month, I've undergone a full uh, three-phase treatment of what they call stereotactic radiosurgery, where they just highly, highly target um, just the areas where the tumors are, try to minimize the radiation that goes to anywhere outside of that, so minimize cognitive Mm -hmm. uh, impairments and things like that, and you just lay on the table when you can't move and the mask that they built a mask for me that hold that held my face down a couple hours at a time and just let them burn the crap out of them i go back in about three weeks and we'll check in with an mri and see where we're at with that in the meantime i meet with my oncologist and we'll talk about um when we can start immunotherapy for mm-hmm. the rest of it because in the middle of this then i come back from the hospital i'm i'm getting everything i'm feeling like i'm trying to get everything on track and i'm dealing with nausea and these really horrible pain stomach things and can't do the things that I want to do. Um, about a week and a half ago, it hit a crucial point. I went back to the ER. I had a, a blockage in my small intestine caused by one of the metastases that mm-hmm. had, that got stuck in, in a process that just naturally happens in there and just blocked it all up. So I had to go in and have part of my small intestine resectioned. And so I'm on the mend from that. That pushes out immunotherapy because I have to be healed out healed completely to do that and by the way what did you do right after that surgery came home and went to topeka yeah i mean, was there out of the hospital well, yeah. that day and i was just like let's go but the thing is as soon as they, as soon as they resection that portion i felt so much relief uh-huh. because up until that point i didn't know where the nausea and all of that was i was like they put me on so many meds uh-huh. i've been through two steroid titrations in the last eight weeks you know um, and so I'm like, is this sickness? Is this this? Is this yeah. this? Now I just couldn't do what I want to do. As soon as I got that out, I was like, oh, yeah. Now you now you just have to keep me here long enough so you can see that I can poop, and I can take my meds so you can take me off IVs. You know, like uh-huh. can I do everything at home and then get me home? Okay, uh-huh. we're good. Uh-huh. And since then I've been okay. So when they let me out in time to make it to Topeka <laughs> Wednesday night, I was like, I actually had a printmaking class that night. I was like, uh, you know, I was like, there's a reason that I got out today because they had told me I wouldn't have been out until Friday or Saturday or Friday uh-huh. or Sunday. Oh God! Anyway, um, so when I got out in time, I was like, "Well, let's go do it." And I went and got filled up and got to fill up others. And 
at yeah. Speakeasy yeah. in Topeka first Wednesday. That was yeah. amazing. It was a good time. And and uh, Annette Billings captured that that piece of you on video. It is like, oh my gosh, it's that's. I mean, you were just doing what you were doing, but honestly, it, it felt inspiring. good. And it's been a long time since I've like been able to be like that open and just uh -huh. uh, in performance. Because sometimes it's like you know you want to reach out. Okay, yeah, yeah, put these things together. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't, even uh -huh. with, or especially if you're not writing a lot and uh -huh. stuff like that, but you still want to be but having like something to say. And having uh -huh. to be like, oh, I want, because it wasn't just like, oh, I just want to go and say hi to Annette. It was like, no, I want to go and I want to, I want to share these three things. Uh -huh. And, you know, like, boom. And so it's just the, those little things and taking the initiative when those things come, because it's coming a lot more now where it's like, uh -huh. it feels like there's not a lot of time. So, uh -huh. you know, it's not like, oh, I could do that whenever. It's like, yeah. no, okay, you're going to do this. Let's try to make it happen. Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> and he did. Yeah, so, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, so that's that. And I've been healing from that. I feel I feel fine. Um, I got, that was last, so it's been a week. I've been out of the hospital for a week. Uh -huh. Hopefully I don't have to go back for a while. Uh -huh. I've got follow-ups with oncology starting next week and wound care and all of that. But, like, I can go and do what I want to do with my life. I wear myself out. I'm still on steroids. I'm coming off steroids. I'm having to figure out how that changes my energy and mood uh -huh. and stuff like that. Um, use it for what I can and try not to try to be as open and communicative with the people that are around me that care about me and love me and are providing me so much support so that when the hard parts, like the frustration and the last lack of patience and the, sure. when those are there that I can communicate those without uh -huh. like blowing out my support system. <laughs> because I mean, that's the thing the, the universe has literally just risen up around me with everything that I need. It's right there. Uh -huh. Um, and I'm really grateful for it because it could be a lot worse. It could be, I don't know. I, I think about things like how do people go through a, a hospital visit alone? Yeah. How do you, you know, I have the, I mean, not just the, the scary parts of being in that situation, but like I have, I worked as an administrator for adults with developmental disabilities. You know how many times I've been in a hospital setting? You know how many times I've had to have these conversations and be a medical advocate and ask for the thing, and like really be on a doctor to be like, this is the important stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a skill. And uh -huh. a natural skill that I have. And like the fact that I can do that for myself and it's second nature now, I can't imagine if I couldn't and or if somebody else couldn't yeah wasn't there to help me through that. It's yeah. not I mean everyone I've interacted with has been great. But I'm a smart kid that knows how to talk to smart kids and uh -huh. um and I did it for a living. Uh-huh. And so that makes it a lot easier. I can't I just can't imagine being scared and walking through that that fear I didn't have to deal with because like I can handle like you're going to listen to me. This is my body and we're going to talk, you know, <laughs> Good for you. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, like from everything. I mean, and the, they knew it all the way down from the nurses, you know, I'm like, you're in the middle of the night, you're going to need to call the doctor and put me back on morphine because the fentanyl doesn't work. Uh -huh. I was like, it, it doesn't, I know you like it because it's fast acting and it gets out of my system real quick. I was like, but I can't make it from button to button. It's making me sick every time I get it. And it's getting worse as the night goes on. So you can wait until I'm crying um, and then get the doctor in here and he's going to put me back on the morphine drip instead. Or you can just go ahead and put me back on the morphine drip because you had it on me, me on it before. Uh -huh. And it doesn't make me nauseous and it manages my pain. And you put uh -huh. me on this because you thought it'd be better. It's not working. Uh -huh. And they're like, okay. You know, like, have to do other things like, well, we're, here's, we're here to start this IV. I'm like, what's that IV? And it's, they're like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what is that? That's not a med that I came in with. It's a blood thinner. Okay, why are we on blood thinners? Well, you just had an operation that could that could cause blood clots. Um, and you could get an embolism that could, I said, okay, well, I just had radiation treatment today that could cause my brain to bleed. So where's the, 
You, so you like, can't put this oh in my I'm like God. you can't put this in my IV until you tell until you talk to a doctor. I will refuse this medication until unless the doctors tell me that I absolutely have to take it. What do I need to do instead? Do I need to get up and walk this floor? Do I need do you need to put those things back on my legs so that you know, like whatever? What do we need to do to manage it without that medication? Because yeah. I'm more scared. Yeah, of my brain bleeding out, and you're not no. Nah. Yeah, but be, but knowing it, yeah. being able to catch it because they're all doing just what they're all doing what they're supposed to be doing, but being able to have those conversations and not feeling like there's no part of me that says that it's not okay for me to do that. And uh-huh. I know some people probably deal with that, but I don't. Mm-hmm. That's my body. Mm-hmm. You're here to help me. That's but also you here. you have understanding of what's going on. And man, a man. It's, and know. it's a lot. You have to, I mean, I've got, but I've got a damn team. I mean, my mother and, and Macy are here 24 seven. They're putting together books of information. Every, you know, they keep track of everything that comes through anybody's hands, makes it manageable. You make it manageable so that when you're able to come back to those things, mm-hmm. they're there. I can't imagine doing I can't imagine doing it without the support that I have. Mm-hmm. Not just be a zombie walking mess with, hope we get through the day and make it to yeah. my next appointment so. <laughs> so folks make sure you're being good to people around you so they'll be good to you <laughs> yeah. and and, just, and let people help when they want to help yes just say yes don't let it be uncomfortable and yeah know, just say thank you and yeah find ways to get back you know that's the other part of like making new stuff and learning how to print and make prints and stuff I'm like uh-huh. oh i can just yes make everything uh-huh. handwrite thank you cards you know whatever all of it it's, just, uh-huh. it's that reflecting back and forth of that love they're giving it to you uh-huh. you turn around and you give it back to them they turn around and you, you just just keep passing it back and forth and building it like uh-huh. mirrors you know that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah and in the midst of all this, you're living your life. Mm-hmm. You're performing your poetry. You're- I have a lot of time to focus on it, considering you know I'm unemployed again, out of nowhere, and and not real motivated to find another job right now because sure. I, don't, I have no idea what what that would look like. Yeah. Around my life, so whatever yeah. I'm supposed to be doing for money will show up. Uh-huh. And in the meantime, I, you know, uh, full faith and trust in the universe, and it hasn't let me down. So. Uh-huh. All my needs are all my needs are met. Yeah, and and I will shamelessly promote that there is a GoFundMe page that people are welcome to contribute. To. Absolutely, it's a throat punch melanoma. I don't have the website, <laughs> but like on me, um, and it's it does serve for that. It also serves for because I'm the kind of I don't want I hate it when you open up Facebook and you're like oh my god somebody just got disemboweled you know like. So it also for me serves as a space like that's where I can put updates on my condition and kind of where mm-hmm. I'm at and where I'm going. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to check in and see what's going on, uh-huh. they're not being inundated by by me. Mm-hmm. They have a place that they can go to and access when, you know, it's not, you know, I think it's real important healing and all of those things for people for them to be able to get the things they need when they need them rather than just like when it's when it shows up in your newsfeed and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the, yeah, that's a bigger purpose for mm-hmm. me because so like, it organizes updates. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, donations are always appreciated in any form. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, words, you know, anything, all of it, all of it, all helps. I got, um, opened up the mailbox yesterday to a, to an envelope that was two inches thick. That was full of nothing but cards from, Five to eight-year-old kids that my stepmother teaches dance to in Alabama. These kids uh, I've never seen. You know, and it's all just you're a princess, you're a warrior. I love you so much. Uh, you got this. You know, I mean, and that you, you show up in the mail, and I mean, just like a pile of this. And you're like, that's love right there. Yes. You know, that is just as I mean, money's just energy. It's all just energy. So just send that energy any way you know how to, yeah. to the people around you. Yeah, you'll get it back. Yeah, but yeah. 
So it serves, I mean, the GoFundMe serves that way, but it serves, for me, it serves more as like that being able to put um, things in the space so uh-huh. people can get what they need. Uh-huh. So it makes it a little easier to manage because I don't want my whole Facebook feed to be like, hi, guys. <laughs> I mean, it still kind of is. I did let, I did get, give Facebook an excuse to make poop comments for two days straight. <laughs> Uh, hope it all comes out all right <laughs> we're rooting for you and i like puns so <laughs> yeah there's some stupid commercial on tv that's related to opioid induced constipation and they say things like how long has this been you know have how long you've been holding this in <laughs> <laughs> yep it's a real thing and yeah. yeah i have to take a stool softener every time i take a <laughs> managing my pills and i've got i mean and the, the pills they've got me on seem to be doing what they are supposed to be doing mm-hmm. i've never you know i mean i never i've had substance abuse blah 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 throughout my life with this and that pills were never a big issue for me mm-hmm. um but because of that there's certain things i know like painkillers never worked for me like when they would give me lower tabs and things like that they just make me sleep mm-hmm. they wouldn't actually cut my pain they got my own medications that actually control my pain mm-hmm. so i can use them for what they're supposed to be mm-hmm. used for and not what they're not mm-hmm. and not have to hold up my pain medication and take it at night so that I can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I can actually take it when I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. And that gives me a chance to be like, okay, maybe I don't need the, you know, this one, I can, you know, cause it's the, they, as far as treatment drugs, I'm not, I mean, it's just the steroids right now from the radiation, but um, anti-seizure meds and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but anxiety and all those other mm-hmm. things, you know, are real things. So being able to manage those in ways that are appropriate yeah, and just part of a regime and keep up like a, rather than like, ah. mm-hmm. I asked them for an anti-anxiety when I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I was like, I looked over my med list that you put together for me, and I was like, and it looks fine. I was like, but at some point, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're going to they're going to start telling me things, and I might need something mm-hmm. to have on hand mm-hmm. when they start telling me things. And mm-hmm. she looked at me. She goes, "You are absolutely right. I will go talk to your doctor, and we will get this." And I was like, "Okay." So I'm like, "Thank you," because I mean, in this day and age, it's really easy to get especially if you know anything of anyone's background. I said, I've had substance abuse problems. You know, get labeled a drug seeker, get labeled all this shit. And it's like, it's, I'm not doing any of that. But it's like, some of these drugs actually work for things that they're supposed to. And let me just, uh-huh. those would be nice to have around. Uh-huh. Keep my, yeah. See if they work. And they have been. So. I need to keep myself together enough to be able to do the treatment and do what I want to do and not yeah. just fall apart and be a mess and yeah. be full of terror and anxiety and fear and all yeah. of that. So keeps it kind of yeah so you're i mean you're being you know as you're talking about this and and i'm gonna guess everybody who's listening whether they've experienced something like this directly they have people in their life who have or who will Mm -hmm. you know and those messages about being informed really getting you know encouraging people to be really direct Mm -hmm. with their healthcare providers talk about what you need talk about what you're experiencing Talk about what you're scared of. Let them know. You know, when when I went to the hospital this last time with my stomach, I mean, like, I knew there was something wrong in my gut. Uh You know, so my, uh, accordingly, I was like, you know, what is worst case scenario? The only thing I was crying about on the way to the hospital was do not let them give me a colostomy bag. Uh That is what I don't want to happen. Uh You know, and like being able to think about those things and communicate those well in advance. Uh Then when it's like, now we know what the fear is. Now Uh we know what the thing is. It's like, yeah, I'm scared and yet hurt. But this is what I don't want. And mm-hmm. if something happens, this is what you need to know mm-hmm. is unless it means she's going to die, do not put a bag on her, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> yeah. and then we were able to, and actually that probably helped us 
navigate what could have been a much scarier surgery. We the trauma doctor that was on, which everyone at KU at Med, like I said, has been great. Mm-hmm. But the trauma doctor that was on in the middle of the night when I got there had been there for a really, really long time. And when I talked to him about the possibility of a colostomy bag, he made it seem like it could be a real thing, especially because I was a cancer patient and we just don't know blah blah blah. It scared the living shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough that I could push them off because I wasn't perforating, you know, or anything like that at that point. And I needed to know what does this mean for my treatment? Does this mm-hmm. mean I don't have to wait six months for radiation? Because that's not happening with 10 brain tumors, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, do I have to do all of these things? I got to push him off. And the next surgeon that came on had 10 years in oncology surgery, mm-hmm. was a cancer doctor. Mm-hmm. So the guy that did my surgery was, so it's like those things worked out too. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the colostrum bag. And he's like, of course, it's a possibility. He's like, I can do this mm-hmm. without that happening. Mm-hmm. And I was like, thank you. That's not, I mean, for me, that's just, everybody's got their own triggers. That's a big one for me mostly because I've worked with people. I know how hard they are to keep clean mm-hmm. and I just don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to mess with it. Mm-hmm. The stigma and all that's a separate thing, but I just don't want to, I'm not the clean, I'm a dirty hippie that hangs mm-hmm. out in the woods and camps and mm-hmm. I don't need a colostomy bag jacking mm-hmm. that up. So, <laughs> <Dirty hippie. laughs> yeah. I mean, I take wet wipes when I go to the woods, but I don't know enough. <laughs> you're, you're gonna live your life if that's what you're saying yeah. you know yeah yeah hopefully it's just my body will get out of the, out of the way of it and let me do mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yep that's all you can do which, I, which I should have been doing anyway i mean we all should be doing it and that's yes. the, the, the thing that hits me sometimes is there's still nothing different you know eight weeks ago this was all here uh-huh. this was all here and it's been here for a long time uh-huh I just know it. That's the only difference, but it doesn't really change. Like anybody could go anytime. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has that same emphasis. It's different when people like say words like incurable prognosis, blah, 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 blah into your face. Yeah. But it doesn't change the reality Uh of time and how much any of us have control over how much any of it we have. Right. (laughs) Right. We we never have control. And what you're saying is that, that you need to live in the minute, in the hour, in the day, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep not thinking about all the multiple things that might happen, but what's important for me to be doing right yeah, now. What I need to do to get through today. Yeah. And here's my calendar for the next yeah, week. Is there yeah. anything I'm missing? And maybe I have to take a nap at a time that I didn't have to take a nap, you know, a year ago, but Hey, right. Napping's not the hard part for me right now. We'll see in a couple of days. The not sleeping has been the biggest issue over the past couple of weeks, but whatever. It'll work itself out. That's steroids. They'll come out eventually. So you're saying when the steroids are not in your system that you think, Naturally, your sleep will be better. Oh, yeah, it is. Good. So, I mean, the, the, the pills say meth on them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in the name. I can only, you know, so I'm just like, uh, let's get through the next week of this. You know? <laughs> so what's a day like for you? Like, are you writing most days? That's important. Get up and kind of do whatever. I mean, we've had a lot of visitors and a lot of, so yeah. it's just kind of like what is today? Like today, today looks like we're, we'll get around here in a little bit. Um, we're going to take a trip down to Wichita and I go visit my family, drop my, my friend off that's been visiting uh-huh. um, to go stay with my mother for a couple of days uh-huh. um, and check in with Wichita. Uh-huh. We're maybe stopped by the Peabody, Peabody, Kansas. There's going to give a real quick shout out. Not that they're going to be listening, but uh, it's a place called Comberg Inn in Peabody, Kansas. It's Bar and Grill. 
Well, I want to give a big thank you to Macy Webb and Jessica Elise for welcoming me into their home to invade with what it takes to record a show of Talk With Me. And obviously much more than that. I so appreciate them sharing their life. You know, Macy was in the background. Jess was doing the talking, but but this is their life. And Jess put it out there for people to benefit. You know, we got to talk about things. She shared a very moving poem. We talked about issues of life, death, valuing people who we are in contact with, because we never know who's going to be the one who's going to go first, me or this person I'm with. And I still want to cherish those minutes we have and those memories, knowing that either they're going to outlive me or I'm going to outlive them. So, So this show is really dedicated to living your life, live your life, do good, be proud, try new things, have a blast, laugh every day, smile at somebody every day, even when there are parts of the day that suck. You know, look at those good ones, look at those good moments, those good parts. Keep that in mind because the truth is we don't experience a whole big old block of time as just one thing. We don't feel the same level of anything all the time. And it's good to notice that. It's good to notice the highlights as well as the lowlights and do what we can. It's good to offer help to people who are in your circle of family, friends, those close ones to you. And it's good to ask for help when you need it. It's good to be assertive about what you need. It's so important to do what you can so you feel good about the choices and things you're doing in your life, you know, including how you treat other people. So it's really been an honor today to do this show with Jess. Um, Just beautiful story, beautiful person, wonderful things for people to learn from, think about, reflect on. And hopefully, as always, hopefully it gets you out in the world, gets you smiling at people, remembering that you have no idea what other people are dealing with, just like they have no idea what you're dealing with. So just be kind. Just do that. Just that. And when there's something hard, do what you can to learn how to get through it, including, again, ask for help offer help, do those things. And it really is part of what makes life worth living. And that is what it's all about from my perspective. Kindness, compassion, connecting, that good stuff. Yeah. So thank you listeners. And most of all, thank you, Jessica and Macy for letting us into your home and so long.